this is the 112th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt, with me as always are my dear co-hosts Robinson Sjöd and Christopher Wikström. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Hello everybody. I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found whenever we release on the TopTech app. In this episode, we report back from a full podcast crew evening at the local game store, as well as reconvening the Basic Land Connoisseur panel for the latest sensation that's gripping the nation podcast favorite four-color beanstalk. Incidentally, a deck that Robin was planning on playing at the LGS last week, but didn't. You had two straight four O's with the deck. What gives, Robin? Well... I was in a hurry in the morning and uh, I actually picked up the wrong deck box and uh, (laughs) (laughs) lucky for me it was a complete deck with sideboard and everything in it. So I brought Sphere Lands to the LGS. (laughs) And how did that go for you? So the first round I was up against a banned Natural Order deck. I won the first game with uh, Merit Lage, lost the second game to Progenitus and the third game was won with Spheres of Resistance and Ursa Saga. Then I was up against, on the second round, four-color Doomsday. And this is, of course, a little bit of a troublesome matchup, but I got lucky, and Spheres is pretty good in this matchup. Spheres and Wastelands can really make the life hard for this deck. And I also think that like the new version with four colors is a little bit easier to play against as a land deck combined to the a little bit faster and perhaps more stable mana base of the just blue and black Doomsday. So I actually won 2-0 and oh, and then we had only used like 10-15 minutes of the time so we played a few more games which I lost each and every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I won the right kind of games, the first games that mattered. Like, that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. And and uh, then I was up against Rug Food Chain, which is uh, a really cool deck, I think. Like, it has gotten some new toys to play with, with the Questing Druid to make a little bit of value plays in the early game. And in the late game, it can just be like a infinity beater, since you can uh, just cycle through uh, griffins and grow it infinitely but this deck has like historically been pretty hard against lands or, or to play against with a lands deck because they have in infinite blockers with the griffins but nowadays it's a squee that runs the combo so no griffins to be seen in that deck and thus it's felt pretty good actually and also of course the spheres did their part it's hard to combo through a sphere so I actually managed to win that one 2-0 as well with sphere lands that's very nice do you know if they ran like uh, manipulate fate and that package i don't think so it was recruiter to find both the little squee and like the payoff cards so like mm. and like I, I guess that the questing druid is just the value play Nowadays, but of course, as an yeah, as sense. an old school food chain <laughs> aficionado, it's, I'm a little bit sad to see no manipulate fate and no griffins. Of course, yeah. I actually just think that the manipulate fate, you know, you you rarely want to top deck your uh, like mana food chain mana cards like the griffins and squeeze. So being able to just take them out of the deck from turn two, I think, is just 
feels great too. Yeah, I mean, that's quite possible. I think that deck is running Fury, so I think there's like, you can pitch the squee to Fury and like like you did with the Griffins to the Force of Wills in the old days. But very cool deck. So I'm 3 0 and up against the finalist, uh, so to say, the final game of the night. And that is bug stifle not so you can see it was a quite a, a, a spicy evening for me like bant natural order not like the the most common deck four color doomsday rug food chain and bug stifle not i was just gonna say like last week you played like you know a quartet of meta decks sort of with yeah. the meta deck this week sphere lands i don't know if that can be considered to be especially sort of common these days and <laughs> these this quartet <laughs> these four musketeers of like what the actual fuck yeah but it like it it felt like the whole lgs was reacting to the prominence of bean decks last thursday when oh, we were like right. four bean players so i think that people brought decks that they might think would have a good chance against beans like with a little bit of combo but being also grindy combo decks so to say with something that can catch the bean player off guard and not not just trying to win through a fairway that, that's my take on it and that also like can be seen as if there were plenty of cloud post players but we'll get to that anyway i'm up against bug stifernaut i realized this rather quickly because I'm, i think i'm starting with the fetch land and, and i'm like oh shit he's on stifle how is this going to be that's my only green source <laughs> so so we, we get into this weird situation where i, I fall behind a little bit Eventually, he, he just overwhelms me with his big creatures. So it's like Stifernaut, of course, or Dreadnoughts, and also Murktides and Uros. So he had like plenty of big beaters and then just a lot of counter magic to supply them. And I board in all the Swords of Plowshares. I had a, had a full playset in my sideboard. Didn't bring in like Force of Vigor or something. Because, like, it's just for dreadnoughts. Maybe it was wrong, I don't know. You need also to keep, like, the consistency of the of a loam deck, I think. Not too many weird cards. But in, in the second game, it goes quite long. And we end up both in a top deck mode after he, like, wastes my uh, Dark Depths. And I copy it with my Thespian Stage. And he stifles the copy. <laughs> so the Wasteland results. And, uh, so, so we're both like on top deck mode. But somehow I, I think I draw a loam. And which really just puts things into turbo speed. So I managed to snag the, the second game. And then in the third game. I think I have a quite a sketchy keep. Where my only green source is a Mox. And he follows it up with a Null Rod. To just stop my Mox from working. And... Like, I don't have anything <laughs> going for me. I think he also has, like, a, a big Merc type or something that finished the games rather quickly after that. So, didn't manage to do the 4-0 with Lance, but really happy about the results because it was probably over a year since I played it last time. And I haven't played so much with Spheres main either, and that felt really good and, and fun. Felt like a really fun deck to play. So, I'm not too sad that I took the wrong deck box in the end. <laughs> I mean, you got to put the squeeze on people. That always feels yeah. good. You can't really expect to play against Stifle Wasteland Null Rod <laughs> in 2024. It's uh, uncivilized. Yeah. But also, I love that too. I mean, it's it's also super cool that he's doing so well with this Dreadnought deck. He's, I think he's second in the league, mostly playing this Dreadnought deck in different iterations. So really cool when uh, deck specialists do, do their thing. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, having a a bug stifle note 
takedown 4-0 at the weekly with 26 players. <laughs> I think that speaks to that Legacy is in a good spot right now. This is his second 4-0 in three weeks with Bug Stifonaut, which is very impressive. Like It means that he knows the ins and outs very well. That's so cool. So what about you, Christopher? How did your evening go? Did you bring your right, the right deck? <laughs> I did bring the right deck. I brought the four-color beans deck, and I was metagaming because we saw a lot of uh, beans players the week before, and I anticipated some blue decks, you know, trying to beat this configuration, you know, Jeskai decks or any of the decks, uh, you know, that Robin played against. All of these perhaps are looking for some angle to attack a weakness. So I made a small configuration. I shaved one of my two uh, dress downs and I think I shaved one other card, which I can't remember now. And I actually just played two Teferi in the main deck to have a pretty good advantage in blue, like in blue mirrors, like especially in the beans mirror. Round one, I play against one of the bluest decks in the format most of the time, which is Mono Red Painter. <laughs> no, 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 no. This was the uh, red-white version. I remember being fourth year lingust. This deck can do what it does best, which is just stabilizing the board, slowly but surely taking over the game. You know, being able to bowmaster down a goblin welder feels criminal. There were There were some situations where I just thought to myself, this isn't really... Right. But also, this does feel like a pretty even matchup because they can go wide and they can also just threaten combo. They can play, like, play quite passively with Ursa Sagas while applying pressure. So I, I do feel that this matchup is one of those where you really have to watch out. But, you know, staring at my two pernicious deeds in the sideboard, free hydroblasts. It's a pretty good place to be in. So I managed to squeeze a 2-0. Continuing my quest to beat the blue decks, I played against Spherelands. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. These Teferis are looking real great. <laughs> let me tell you that. So in round one, we have a really tense back and forth. I managed to, you know, squeeze in some threats like a Merktide that's pretty big. My opponent had landed some spheres, but they had no meaningful way of, you know, progressing the board state. But on the other side of the table, I'm sitting there starting to draw a lot of fetches. And my opponent is like recurring wasteland, just trying to look for a way to close the game, make Marit and stuff like that. And that's where my trouble begins. So they start wastelanding me while also finding a mace the turn they would die. Which means that my board state, which is a Merktide, a Bowmaster, and an army, is suddenly attack-wise just two damage down from maybe seven. The turn after that, they found a stage, so they could continue wastelanding me and now make a copy of Mesalith. And the turn after that, they found another stage while they continuously wasteland me. I don't find anything meaningful in all of these turns and i think my opponent won the game with like two life which was very painful however it happens game two was pretty similar but in this situation i managed to force a choke quite early on but they 
peel like they just peel from the top of their deck a land so that they could deploy a crucible worlds uh, i think they squeezed in a sphere resistance or something in the meantime and i get wastelanded slash ghost quartered out of the game and it's brutal mm. <laughs> so i'm one on one and i'm continuing in this you know, theme of wanting to play blue decks. And I'm up against Painter again. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had the bracket, Robin. (laughs) I'd like the Teferis would feel so good. In these games, I mull a lot. I think to five and five in both games. I don't, I just don't find good cards or lands in one of the cases. So this, this is a very fast loss. My opponent goes for the combo in both games. They're ahead on cards and they're ahead on board. So, you know, sometimes a mole can really do that. It was a kind of like two kind of non-games, but also it was very fun to play against that opponent. We've played at the LGS for quite a time, but we've actually never faced each other. And so it was kind of funny to, you know, actually play against this person for once. So last round, I finally get to play a real blue deck. And this is the pseudo mirror. I'm playing against five color beans. The biggest change, we are our lists are very close, but they play four Fearlingas. I think one copy, like a triome. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Game one, I managed to squeeze in the Haymaker card, Beanstalk. Then I get to Leyline Binding, their Beanstalk. And force of will their leyline binding. If you play these mirrors, this exchange is so brutal for the person on the draw. Card wise, it's so hard to recuperate from. Game two, I think my opponent put the hurt in the dirt. It was pretty much opposite sides, but this time around they got to I think four fearlingas me, while also just ahead on everything. But this is where we come into the horrible game free for my opponent. Where I was sitting next to you. I saw this. Two of the cards that I brought in in this matchup are opposition agents. I start with one in my opening with Beanstalk, Force of Will, blue card. I just play lands, deploy Beanstalk. On turn three, I make a land drop and just pass. My opponent takes their turn, fetches, and then fetches again. I'm like, so you're double fetch- fetching? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to fetch in response. Ooh. That's all, folks. That's game. <laughs> oh, never do it. It hurt. Never do like, it. You can, you, yeah. you can always like fetch and see if it resolves and then shortcut and fetch again. You don't have to say fetch, fetch. Yeah, yeah. He, he just like said uh, fetch, fetch, and then he moved both to the graveyard. And I was like, <laughs> naturally, when you're in this situation, you, of course, snag the Mystic Sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> the other one doesn't matter. You having double Mystic Sanctuary is also just game. You know, losing, like being double strip mine there's no coming back and yeah there was no coming back so uh two and two i wish i would have played against more blue decks but you take what you get in one sense perhaps i played against a lot of blue decks besides lands due to the painter always saying blue so victor how was your evening? Yeah, well, I did bring my freshly acquired playset of the One Ring to play the Karn Post again. Sit down for my first match, and I think this is your round two opponent, right, Robin? Yes. So this is four-color Doomsday, 
and <laughs> the post doomsday <laughs> matchup. I mean, I haven't been on this deck for so long. You're very hard pressed to find any outs, especially if they play a version that also has Teferi. It's basically unwinnable, I will say. Like, they can mulligan really hard for what they need. They're not in a hurry. My opponent just went turn to doomsday in both games. Like, there is nothing I can do, really. I spent more time shuffling my deck than resolve i think i resolved one spell that was countered it was a karn in the second game in my third round then i play against sort of the last time i brought this deck i played against this opponent on the virtually the same deck which is a yes guy walkers fourth aerolingas only when i sort of have taken my third turn of game one on the play and I'm like, I'm really assembling a lot of cloud posts here. I have, I think I have two out and I'm going to use my reclaimer to fetch a third in the end step. Everything looks great. And my opponent slams turn three main deck Blood Moon. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm losing this game now because I, yeah, it hurts. I had nothing. So in game two, <laughs> I, I, I am sort of advancing as you often can do against sort of counter magic reactive decks as this one with uh, with cloud post you can just power through really <laughs> my opponent costs ruination wow <laughs> blood moon into ruination actual factual ruination i still win this game though because i'm so far ahead it doesn't really matter <laughs> i have corn going i think and i have like a reclaimer and i just also keep drawing lands for some reason it felt i was like so far ahead and of course ruination doesn't really advance their game plan either i won that and in the third game super fun very extended into time round four is only then when i lose and i think this is like a game that had i been a very experienced post player I could probably have won this game because I would have been able to sequence like turns 11 through 17 better than I did. What basically happened was we fought over a couple of copies of Blood Moon and the second, the first one stuck and I got to remove it, but then the second one also stuck and I spent forever trying to find either a Karn to fetch a Haywire Might or my second copy of Buseju to get rid of this blood moon but when the game finished i think i'm like 15 17 cards in my deck all my four cards are still in there <laughs> wow <laughs> i know they stick together <laughs> absolutely crazy eventually I, I make this sort of hail mary attempt of pushing myself to the one ring lethal so to say because i'm just trying to draw cards and only then do I find the card. But it's academic at that point because, I mean, I'm, in, I'm losing anyway. And pushing the draw in that sort of situation also feels just like, why would I do that? I'm losing 1-2 against main deck Blood Moon. That was that was that was hard. That was a blowout. Yeah, it's rough. I felt so good about myself. I'm like, yeah, I'm putting this together. And but it's a good meta game against the meta of of our LGS for sure. So I mean, the card is in the deck, as you say. Then round three, I'm up against the epic storm and while this might be slightly more winnable than four color doomsday it's not a lot more winnable <laughs> what are your sideboard cards cards even no it's like what am i supposed to do here <laughs> it's like speed run to uh green sun for oof and hope they don't kill you anyways it's i, I i'm not sure if this is i for me this feels as bad <laughs> as doomsday because this deck can like they don't care about what you're doing like a lot of your sideboard stuff doesn't really do anything either 
No. In game two, I did manage to blind name Bloodstained Mire with a pithing needle. That's how you win. <laughs> two co- and they had two copies of this fetch land in their hand and no other wow. <laughs> lands. Thing is, though, uh, my mana base was like also super bad. So in the end, in order to be able to do anything to advance my game plan, I had to play a Yabimaya, <laughs> which would give oh. them green mana. And I thought mm. that's not super useful for them. But they had a Chromox and then they were just like, yeah, I also have three lead in hand. I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> Whatever. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. So, I mean, at least you got to turn one Hymdom with your Piffing Needle. Hitting hitting both lands. That feels pretty good. It might even be that they had one copy and drew another. I don't know. But yeah. But then on to the final round, I play against Green Cloud Post. Yeah. <laughs> this was this sick. Was, this was interesting. So this is like the, the almost mirror, right? This this build is sort of mono green, more heavily into Elvish Spirit Guides and, and such, whereas I, of course, play Karns. So what happens in these <laughs> games with my lovely Post opponent is that each player that's on the play goes once upon a time into Cloud Post, and the other player goes once upon a time into put cloud post into my hand. It seems that it's very good to untap with a lot of cloud posts, but at the same time, of course, you don't want to give your opponent too many cloud posts. So in the first game, I'm on the play, and I just managed to get a really quick Ulamog down, which of course exiles my opponents, two of my opponents' key lands, and I just win really quick from there no discussion in the second game my opponent pretty much does the same they just overwhelms me (laughs) with with stuff i think we play for a while but i'm sort of you're so behind like they get to resolve a primeval titan first and of course that puts you so far ahead in this match that it's not even funny and the third game is like the most drawn out and and the most interesting and I basically, it's really the uh, sort of Avengers assemble feel to it because my opponent refuses to concede. So when I win, I have Karn Lattice, Ulamog, Emrakul. Annihilation Trigger has removed their, all their exactly six permanents and they are taking 38 damage from the swing. And I am at 47 life. <laughs> I was sitting next to this match and I was sweating because turn one you were like I'm gonna play a tapped cloud post and play uh, once upon a time and your opponent was like sure and then at the end of your turn they just slammed one of their own once upon a times and I was just like this is so scary. I remember your curve so clearly because it was disgusting. It was cloud post, opponent goes cloud post. You go cloud post. <laughs> Your opponent goes cloud post. <laughs> you go basic forest, green sun for primeval titan, and put in two more posts. And I was sitting there just thinking there are six cloud posts in play. If the opponent just plays a glimmer post and they can jam Emrakul on turn mm, three. Yep. So I was sitting there just sweating. <laughs> Because it was, you know, so disgusting. Like it went so fast. No, it's like if they have uh, if they have Emrakul exactly in hand, I lose this game. Otherwise, I win hard. They also need exactly Glimmer Post, and because uh, I have Ulamog, so I know that sort of whatever they put out, even if they cast their own Ulamog, I will be ahead because I can just Ulamog back, and they end up playing um, well, not Ulamog or Emrakul. 
obviously, because a couple of turns later, the board that I <laughs> just explained is, is what I'm sitting with. I think I had eight copies of Cloud Post. I had also mana to pay for the full Dark Depths. Oh, you mean tapping two lands? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> In response to the annihilation trigger, I just also I have Marietledge. That's what I want to do with this deck. That's what I'm hoping to place. learn more how to sort of make happen. I'm thinking I'm gonna try the more mono green version next. Do you mean without Karn? Yeah, it's 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 more into sort of Elvish Beard Guide and basically another type of sideboard. You have carpets and you have uh, stuff instead of the Karn board. Yeah, it's kind of nice to lock uh, like lock that part up. I feel that like with the ring. Perhaps you don't need Karn as a bridge anymore to the late game. No, exactly. And then you can play, of course, play four rings main deck instead of three mm. and one in the Karn board. So it's, well, I'll see. Like, it, it seems that people are putting up slightly more consistent results with the mono green version. But then again, of course, this deck isn't sort of putting up results, you know, in large quantities. So that was that week at the LGS. Lots of weird things happened to all of us. I think Robin, though, takes the prize by bringing the accidental wrong deck. I think that was. Uh... <laughs> Very well done on your flavor win. <laughs> As the two of you are going to go heavy on the beanstalk for a while. And it has put really good results, of course. It is an archetype that we now consider worthy to be discussed in the Basic Land Connoisseur panel. The ceremonial robes have been donned and this deck's basic planes and basic islands shall be determined. Robin, you have the most reps with this deck, so I invite you to start. When I was picking lands for this deck, I was thinking about a namesake card, Beanstalk, of course. Up the Beanstalk, I should say. Because I wanted to pick lands that was viewing the landscape from above so that you are already up the beanstalk when you look out onto these basic lands. As it happened, both of these lands are from Throne of Eldraine, which is of course not the same set that Beanstalk is from, but is adjacent set, so to say. It's from Wilds of Eldraine. The same world. The same world, right? The, sa- the same plane, which have this sort of saga, fable vibe to them, which is really fitting with, with the Beanstalk card. So the first one is a plains, a throne of Eldraine number 252, drawn by Alayana Danner. This is a landscape, I should not say it's really a plains, but it's a landscape, a mixed landscape, but very like yellowy or whitish with a sort of color identity of a plain. You see a little bit of hills and it's some of them are wooded, but you can see quite far from where you are climbing up your beanstalk. There are some clouds on the sky, but a lot of sun is also like sipping down in between the clouds. It's a really beautiful picture when you look at it. What do you guys think about this one? I love the sort of the idea of this is the view of the planes from the beanstalk. Yeah. I really get it. Yeah, same. Now that you explain it. And uh, I love it because I was thinking like, well, this is a plane that shows like really a multitude of planes in the plural. Mm. Usually the planes is a field or like two fields next to each other or 
you know, if it's Ravnica's like yellow mm. buildings, I guess. But really, like getting up the beanstalk and sort of holding one arm on the stalk, leaning out, looking behind you. This is what you see. I I love it. That this is perfect. I'm so down for this. Yeah, same. I love the whole you know looking down from the beanstalk. You're up there in your ivory control tower. And you're just <laughs> looking down on the opponent. And you have this beautiful landscape. I really like it. There are so many details that are just gorgeous. This is what it feels like when you have like had many beanstalk triggers and you're sitting there with seven cards in your hand <laughs> and they're like at two cards struggling. <laughs> your opponent is somewhere on those planes just Hello down looking there. <laughs> for anything, looking for scraps. So the second land is from the same set, Throne of Eldraine, number 253. And this is one is by John Avon, quite a recurring artist in this connoisseur panel. This one is similarly viewed from above. It's a sea, perhaps a fjord, something like that, uh, with a few islands and uh, like the mainland in the background. Like the sky is very blue and it's very sunny. It's almost as if the sun is reflected on a lens or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's- yeah. It looks very photographic, this picture, but it looks very calm and like a, a very like nice environment to be in. I'm getting a very like Nordic feeling with it because it's so green and blue. And uh, yeah, it's uh, the blue mage looking down at his estate from the beanstalk, of course. What do you guys think about this one? <laughs> Yeah, indeed it is. And same one here, just the beanstalk perspective is, is great here. And I really also get Fjord from this, which I think fits in a Scandinavian-played Beanstalk deck. If you can put a Fjord in there, I think you should. So these two are excellent choices, Robin. I mean, we always say this because there are so many basic lands to choose from. So, I mean, you can't know them all, but I had no idea that Throne of Eldraine basics were so good. These are these are great. One thing that I really like about this art is that it kind of reminds me of a lot of old school islands. If we think about how the islands uh, used to look in pre-modern era, there was this island in the middle of nowhere with very sharp rocks and, you know, uh, mountainsides just squeezed together on a very small island. But here mm. you have that same vibe these are also sort of like the same colors as a lot of them use like beta there's the bright in beta and this is just like a more realistic version of that that's also just very calming so i think that it touches on something great from magic's past in island art while also just being very new and very modern. So what about you, Christopher? Where did you go? I went back in time. The first land that I want to talk about is Mark Poole in uh, Beta and his uh, island 291. This is a pretty classic island. A lot of players has probably seen this one. It has a sort of shady silhouette of you know some cliffs or just like different heights on a mountain it's evening like sunset it's very calm i chose this one because it's not really super blue it has a lot of other colors in it like red the plains white i think this one is just sort of speaks to me what i think about the deck in terms of colors that it's you have this thing to enable all of the other colors this island is probably by far the most important land in the deck which is a lot you know coming from a four or five color deck and 
this is one of the basics that has done it the best throughout the years. So the second one to pair this with, however, is from Mirage. And this is uh, Tom Vanestrand, number 334. And this is a stark contrast to the island. This is a very dark sky with some pink white clouds in the background. There's a bird, like very close perspective. And there's sort of like, it's sitting on this, what looks like a statue. What you have in this is what's missing in the other picture, the other colors of the deck, which is black and green. Mm. This also, for me, ties the deck together because one of your biggest threats playing this deck is being blood mooned and things like that. And this planes, it feels like it has the power to remove the problems. Whenever you're sitting with the planes in play, you always feel safe. And it's not that this picture is calming, but it's sort of, for me at least, alerting. And I think that sets up a very nice tone for what white represents in this deck. It's your get out of jail free card, and it will take any shortcut to get there. So uh, what do you guys think? Well, I am uh, totally sold on how you tie it all together with uh, the color that are present in these two basics in this five color <laughs> deck that has to play these basics to survive in 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 a blood moon meta or in a hostile meta and uh, as as you say like the plains is an and the, and the island with the with the red blue blasts from the sideboard they are they are the keys to unlocking the rest of the mana base so they are they are carrying all of the colors inside of them as just as these basic lands do great choices and uh, this is actually one of my favorite planes of all time as well i'm very much into this one and all of the mirage planes are, are great i think but this one in particular and the better one you cannot that go wrong true. with it of course yeah this planes is really nice it is a classic and same as robin i love it how you so subtly ties this all together i think this is probably your most iceberg technique choices for basic lands in the entire series of the basic land connoisseur panel i love that and i think that also with, with the same kind of subtlety goes into that this deck has just so many layers to it since it has and also choosing different sets for your basics which of course is something we don't usually do usually you find yourself choosing lands from the same set even though as robin said perhaps not that also what you're looking for you just happen to be in <laughs> both of these ones which is also spooky or whenever we choose like the same artists even though we don't know who has drawn it makes it a conscious choice that you're choosing two very different sets that have different sort of printing styles and and fonts and everything there's a tap symbol and there's the old tap symbol and there's tap to add like mm. these do not match in that sense but i think that speaks to what this deck is because it has everything from force of will to triumph of saint catherine <laughs> which is these are also cards that do not match <laughs> aesthetically true. in the same way so victor tell us about your picks well, speaking of the Triumph of St. Catherine, I went for the most churchy lands I could find. And these are, of course, the full arts from Dominaria United, which are these stained glass window basics, which are beautiful. Yeah. So these, these will be Dominaria 277, 278, both by Migali Villeneuve. The Plains is basically the mana symbol 
the sun surrounded by feathers and a church building and other very sort of very imposant, very angelic themes. Whereas the island has the teardrop symbol above an island. There's sun's sun, but there's also thunderstorms, very abstract, super abstract thunderstorms, birds. But it's really it's really the, the pain, the, 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 the glass that does it for me here. And, yeah. I, and I wanted something that goes with the Trank of St. Catherine because it seems to be winning a lot of games for people who play this deck. And I just wanted to pay homage to this card with these two basics. And you do. They're really cool. And I haven't seen this before. I really like this like stained glass technique of painting. They really do well on magic cards. And I haven't seen this one before, so I haven't seen them in real life. But I can imagine that they're looking pretty good in, in real life as well. Well, I, I also like like the, the story that you... How, how you tie them together in this deck and uh, putting the church theme in the deck. And the release of St. Catherine, a card that was kind of hyped when it came and didn't really have a home but uh, this is the home yeah since there are a lot of perhaps abstract things in this art you can interpret a lot of it to the deck or whatever deck you want to put it in but i do think that this is a good fit for beanstalk you know the planes it feels sort of it would fit any swords to plowshares deck there's a lot of actual physical swords in the picture as well contrasted with feathers which are very light and do not harm which is sort of this is for me a better swords to plowshares art than one of the swords to plowshares art that exists because i think it conveys a lot of disarming the opponent from a very righteous angle which you know triumph of saint catherine and the whole church angle disembodies that the island, for me, is a slam dunk. I love also that there's this small green island in the middle that's, you know, it is green, which is, you know, you have like the versions that Robin and I play, we have I think, one green card in the main deck, and that's the beanstalk. But it's also what the entire deck resol- like revolves around, exactly like this basic. So yeah, I, I like this. And stained glass is great. I think it's very pretty. And that, my friends, is all we have for this episode. What a time to be alive, eh? Do you have other suggestions for basic lands for four-color beanstalk? If so, join our Discord and find the art section where you can go wild as people do on occasion. You can find the link to our Discord in the episode description. Guys, are you on social media? Anything? Anywhere? Yes, we are. I am on X. My name is Jacka underscore Bo. You can find me on X at MonolithMTG. You can find the podcast on X at Stockholm Legacy and me at Disco Drogo. And that is the end of the 112th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robin Sassian. Thanks, Christopher Wikström. I am Victor Bernhards. Many thanks to you for listening. The great and mysterious Frenes has written a music. You can find more of their work on Spotify. And we are still in the depths of winter, but I, for one, hope that soon spring comes when I will be able to wash my windows that I'm sitting next to here.